no matter if you're starting a philanthropic business or not, uh, starting a business is hard. <laughs> um, especially when, you know, we, we started with a thousand dollars each and we never had investors and we grew 300% over the first three to four years. So, um, there you have to learn pretty much everything. We learned how to create websites. We learned how to, uh, speak in front of people. We were like 17 and 15. We learned <laughs> how to, uh, do accounting. We were writing the commission checks for our compassionate entrepreneurs and, uh, doing the accounting to make sure our artisans were getting paid fairly and, I mean, there was a lot of stretching and growing that just for two teenagers, um, you know, we had to give up a lot of the things that a, a lot of teenagers are not give up, but while dealing with all the normal stuff that happens during your teenage life, we were also dealing with trying to grow a company that was growing at a rate we were just so excited about, but also so overwhelmed by. Hello, everyone, and welcome to chapter 23 of the Let's Give a Damn podcast. You guys, I am beyond thrilled right now. Firstly, if that's even a word, I'm doubting myself now. First, firstly, I like it. It sounds great. So firstly, if you're listening to this on the day it releases, August 8th, 2017, it's our wedding anniversary. Nine years, y'all. My wife and I got married nine years ago. It's been hard, amazing, and oh so worth it. She's perfect for me. And I could spend hours telling you why, but let's just leave it at, it was definitely meant to be. That's all I can tell you right now. Secondly, I'm beyond thrilled today because of the conversation I get to share with you. Before I introduce today's guests, make sure you stick around all the way to the end of the podcast. If you do, you'll find out how you can get some one of a kind, let's give a damn swag. That information is reserved for the few and faithful that listen all the way to the end. Back to my guests for the week. A couple weeks ago, I met up with Chelsea and Elizabeth, two of the four founders of Trades of Hope, an organization that empowers women out of poverty around the world while creating entrepreneurial opportunities for women here in the US. They had just completed their annual conference in Nashville, so we met up in a hotel room at Opryland to record this podcast conversation. You are gonna be blown away by these incredible young women who have accomplished so much by their mid-20s. All in all, around 18,000 people, mostly women, have part-time or full-time jobs because of these women and trades of hope. This is a fantastic conversation that I anticipate will drive you to give many more dams. I could talk and talk and talk about how much I admire these women, but I'll shut up so you can hear more of their stories and all about their work in our conversation. Ready or not, here it comes. I'm your host, Nick LaPara, and this is my conversation with Chelsea and Elizabeth from Trades of Hope. I'm so excited to have the two of the four founders of Trades of Hope here with me at the Opryland Resort in a hotel room, a nice hotel room. Um, this place is like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory. It took us, <laughs> it took us, it took me 15 minutes to get to you guys. Yes. And then once we found each other, it took us another, what, 10, 12 minutes to get to. Yes. We wandered we around for quite some time. Yeah. But it was we're very here. exciting. <laughs> we are very excited. So I have, I have uh, Elizabeth and Chelsea with me this morning, and I'm so grateful for you guys taking the time to spend time with me. 
Thank you. Thanks for having us. We're yeah. excited. Yeah, good. So let's start with you just finished your, you just wrapped up your conference. We're hanging out because you y'all are in Nashville. I'm in Nashville. You just did your conference. So um, Elizabeth, tell me a little bit about what just happened. Um, who all came and what all just took place over the last two or three days? Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, we have these regular uh, events where we invite our compassion entrepreneurs who are the women who sell our Trades of Hope products. We invite them together for this weekend event and we um, have some training on how best to sell our products, how best to share the stories of our artisans. We have some inspirational moments where we share stories that we at the home team learn about our artisans. We have a whole department in our home team um, called Artisan Communications and they talk with our artisans regularly. And from that, we gain a lot of information. And us as founders, we travel to meet our artisan groups regularly. At least each four of us take a trip at least once a year. And so we get some amazing stories, amazing, amazing photos and video. And we share that with them usually at these events. And um, But the best thing about this is events is that we experience the sisterhood that these compassion entrepreneurs have created. And um, we didn't make them create it. It was very organic. And it's one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen or experienced in my life all of these like-minded women with similar passions in their heart and similar visions to see poverty end around the world. And for some reason, just that commonality has created this community that um, is so supportive and encouraging um, in, tr in their Trades of Hope businesses, but truly in every area of their life. Um, so yeah, it's a weekend event and we enjoy all of those things together. We laugh and we cry and we hope for the future and we dream big dreams. How many people are here for it? How many ladies? Um, there were 500 guests here wow. this weekend. Yeah. Wow, that's an undertaking. Yeah. And you're glad it's over. I, I have so many good, me I'm very tired, yeah. but I have so many new great memories now. Yeah. That's awesome. So let's start back at the beginning. Chelsea, let's go back to, um, before we talk about Trades of Hope and what y'all are doing right now, let's go back to the beginning and try to figure out what are the things that made you the way you are today. Whatever comes to mind, your childhood, your family, experiences that you had, the place you grew up. Talk sure. about that for a little bit and get us up to the point, but right before Trades of hope. <laughs> Where it started. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I grew up in a homeschool family. I was one of five homeschooled kids. Same um, here. Yeah. So cool. Well, we are not socially awkward. Nope. So congratulations. Nope. We Contra made it I out. I mean, there are plenty of them, <laughs> yes. but we made it out alive. <laughs> we made it out and we're good. We're here talking and being very talkative. So that's good. Uh, I grew up in a family of entrepreneurs as well. Mm. So my mom and my dad were both uh, very independent, loved starting businesses, but truly believed that business can be used for good. Mm. Uh, and everything that they did, they were always uh, finding ways to give back in certain areas and trying to wrap um, that for good model within all of their business uh, ideas that they did. And so growing up as a homeschool kid, um, my mom, she actually had classes about how to start businesses and how to be an entrepreneur that mm. we had to go through. And so wow. from a very early age, I fell in love with the idea of starting my own business and being an entrepreneur and having freedom, but I loved that that was not um, removed from helping people. That wasn't, you know, they weren't mutually exclusive. They could be inclusive of each other. And uh, my family, they're a pastor's family. So we were very involved in ministry. We planted a church. Um, and so as I grew up, I really wanted to do something that combined the two that I could, you know, 
um, help people, show people just that love and that grace and, and truly do something that could make a difference, but mm. use the model of business that I had seen my entire life. Um, and so that was something that was brewing in my head of how I could be a part of something like that and how we could use business for good uh, all in my teenage years. And uh, yeah, so that's a little bit about me in a very short nutshell. And where are you during all of this? Where is this located? Um, so I grew up in near Boston, Massachusetts. Okay. And then when I was 12 years old, we moved to Florida to plant a church. Uh, so that was Where a, in Florida? Uh, Palm Coast, Florida. Okay. It's about uh, an hour uh, north of Orlando. And so we moved there and started, started a church there. I was very involved in church planning with my family. Uh, and my parents still had various businesses on the side. And I was in the midst of starting my own goofy teenage businesses that I was required to start because I was in all these little business classes that my mom had started. What are What's an example or two of a business that you started? Sure. Goofy business. Yes, they're goofy. So don't look them up online. I don't know. They <laughs> might still be out there somewhere. Oh, I'm um, going to. <laughs> so I started a fitness trading business when I was 14 and I had like five clients. So I hey. saved up enough money to actually, me and Elizabeth, we went on a trip to Italy uh, in our, I think like first year of high school. And that was, I saved up the money from my first fitness training business that I started. Uh, and I started building websites. I started a photography business later on when I was a late teen. Um, so yeah, I did a lot of various things just here and there to, to make money, but then also do something where I could help people. And my parents were always very generous. They taught me that in whatever you do, success is not about the money. It's not about, you know, how much you have. It's about having the resources to help other people and help other people achieve their dreams. Dreams. And so I always looked at business as that, as having the ability to help someone else achieve their dreams now that I had resources. And so that was really the idea behind why, you know, I loved that business could be used for good. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Elizabeth, what about you? Yeah, um, similarly to Chelsea, um, I grew up in a family of uh, world travelers and entrepreneurs and dreamers. Um, my Dad is from the Netherlands, traveled to America as a, as a young adult, met my mom, and then uh, went back to the Netherlands where I was born, and we kind of hopped around the world for a little while before my little brother was born. And, and throughout that time, um, my parents were both very entrepreneurial as well, and they just, um, they just brewed this confidence in me mm. that, of course, you could do whatever you set your mind to and whatever you're passionate about. Um, and so I'm very thankful that I had parents who made it seem obvious that as long as I worked hard and I was very passionate about it, um, it would come to fruition. And um, when I was five years old, my mom founded an orphanage in Haiti. And so from a very young age, I was exposed to the very real realities of the world and what a majority of the people around the world face. And then when I was eight years old, she took me to Haiti with her for the very first time. She was going back um, at every other month for a couple weeks. And I don't know what it was. One day asked me if I wanted to go. And I said, absolutely. And um, even as a child, I landed in Haiti and I was so overwhelmed with the awkward feeling that 
me as a child was providing my time, donations, charity for adults Mm. to function. And I felt like that was really awkward. Me handing Mm. um, supplies to an adult who waited in line to take it from us or came to um, the medical clinic that was also a part of the orphanage for um, Band-Aids. And I was was offering all these things to them and um, it felt so, I was a child and how did I have more opportunities than these adults? And it was awkward for me. Um, and so after that first trip, I, when I was eight, um, I was constantly thinking of new ways to get back to Haiti because that's where I felt purposeful and that's where I felt enlivened. And, um, that's where I felt like I was called to be, was to be on the ground with these people who just needed an opportunity to thrive, um, because they didn't do anything to earn where they were at. And I didn't do anything to earn where I was at. We were just born into very different situations. And so between school breaks for the rest of my childhood, I went to Haiti one to three times a year. Um, I would save up my money. When I was 14, I started a business too. I started a photography business for gas money and Haiti plane tickets. And, um, I would just feel so misplaced when I was in the United States and uh, so frustrated that I was a kid and I had to go to school and um, I loved my family and I loved my life here, but I just couldn't stop thinking about my friends and my family in Haiti. And um, then in 2010, when the devastating earthquake hit Haiti, um, my mom was leaving just the day after the earthquake hit to fly to Haiti and check on the kids in our orphanage there. And I begged her to take me with her. Like I wanted to go so badly. I wanted to help with the kids. I wanted to see all of my friends that were there who I loved. And um, she made it seem like she was considering taking me for about 24 hours. (laughs) She told me now that she was not considering it at all. Uh, She was just being nice and considering my feelings. But um, she, when it came down to it, she told me that if a plane could touch down in Haiti, it needed to be filled with doctors and construction workers because those are the only people who could really do something. And I didn't have a lot to offer and um, that didn't hurt my feelings, but it made me feel so helpless. And it made me feel um, like all of my passion and all of my love for Haiti and her people were um, deferred and Mm. I didn't know where else to put it. Um, And so while she was gone, I was glued to the computer and my phone waiting for updates. And um, I would channel that energy into updating the adoptive parents who are adopting from that orphanages um, for our our orphanage about the status of their adopted Mm. kids. Cause that's all I knew what to do. Um, And for my whole childhood, I spent, I just spent this struggle of being in America, but also knowing what's going on around the world and feeling that pull, feeling misplaced and feeling awkward. And um, that's kind of led me to where I am today. Yeah, that's so interesting. Two fascinating upbringings. Um, I resonated a couple times with yours. One, um, I love the Netherlands, spent a bunch of time there. Harlem awesome. is my favorite city in yeah, Netherlands. Yeah. And so were you born there? Or? I was born there. Okay. I'm a Dutch citizen. Okay. So dual awesome. Dual citizen. Yeah. I'm dual citizen Guatemala. Cool. So the thing that resonated with a couple, couple more things. One was the 2010 Haiti earthquake. I had the opportunity to actually go. I could yeah. have gone. Oh, I'm jealous. And I, I didn't because instead I put on a concert with my friend Lecrae. We did this whole thing, raised $25,000 to wow. you know, actually send over instead. But that was so hard. And I resonate with that because mm-hmm. I grew up in Guatemala from nine or not grew up, nine to 19. So 10 years and um, started giving back when I was 13, took my first solo trip to Peru when I was 13 
and um, there's a lot of there's a lot of re- resonation going on here with your stories. <laughs> the only difference is I did not grow up in an entrepreneurial family. In fact, it wasn't until I'm on my own entrepreneurial journey now, but mm-hmm. it didn't start till. 27 or 20, I didn't even know it was a thing. You know, you, you like, you know that people, you know, build things and start companies, <laughs> but you don't ever explore, like none of my family, they, they just, that wasn't their thing, yeah, right? Yeah. It was just a very like hardworking, my parents were missionaries and my siblings, very hard workers, but mm-hmm. there wasn't that entrepreneurial spirit. So it's really cool that it started so early for y'all. I love that. So, so we'll start with you since you have the mic, uh, Elizabeth, and then we'll go to Chelsea. Was there a specific give a damn moment? Was there a moment that things switched in you or was it this progressive kind of change in your life, right? Because that's what we're looking for as I tell these stories and as I talk with people all over the country and kind of relay these beautiful stories to the Let's Give a Damn family. One of the things I'm looking for is this moment that the light bulb switched for them. Maybe they were living this different sort of life and then something happened. They saw something, they experienced something. And from that moment on, you can't go back from that, right? I think that give a damn moment is like you cross this bridge, it gets burned behind you and there's no going, you can't unsee the things that you've seen and maybe you already spoke about it. And But was there that moment or was it kind of this progressive thing that happened? Yeah, I think it for me, it was a lot of little moments that was slowly ingrained into just the, the person that I am. Um, having spent so much time in Haiti, there are, there are things like where I would hold a baby one week and then get a phone call that that baby died. I was like, what are you talking about? I was feeding, feeding him five days ago and he seemed fine and he was happy and he pulled my hair and thought it was funny. And, um, but now he doesn't, he doesn't exist physically anymore. And, um, other things, like I said, um, a woman asking me for money, a man, a man, asking me for money simply because of the color of my skin mm. and because he could tell that I didn't live in Haiti. Other things like working in the medical clinic, that was a part of my mom's orphanage. And um, I don't know why they let me do this, but they they let me give vaccinations to people coming in wow. because that's how desperately they needed sure. them. And those yeah. vaccinations could save their lives from diseases that were rampant around Haiti. And um it's crazy how they were so dependent on something. I was the one giving it to them. It felt so wrong and so awkward. And um, so to me, it was growing up in that struggle. It was growing up in that I know what's happening. I don't like it. And I don't know how to channel this. I don't know how to affect people's lives from America. I don't know how to touch people from my home. And I don't know how to do more than just be grateful for what I have. Mm. I, I was getting tired of just thanking God for what I had and I wanted to do something and um, to a point of frustration. And that was boiling up in me so steadily from eight years old to about 15 years old. Wow. What about for you, Chelsea? Was it kind of a light bulb switch or was it a kind of a progression of different events and things? Sure. I mean, I think with everything, it's a, it is a progression. Um, I did travel growing up, but not as extensively as Elizabeth. And so I got to go to Haiti for the first time. I think I was with you, actually. We went together. Um, And it was at the cusp of us starting the company. So I don't believe we had actually started it at the time. We were like, it was a seedling idea in our hearts. Um, And going just was eye-opening. And like she shared, just seeing people waiting in line and seeing people living in tents and seeing people in such desperate circumstances with their little kids on the side of the road, like being handed a packet of food or a packet of, or a little bottle of water. And it was just like, 
these are able-bodied adults who have dreams and who have, you know, purposes and who are talented and who are intelligent. And why do they need to rely on me to, you know, be successful and mm-hmm. to eat? I mean, they, even just the simple necessities of eating, like they shouldn't have to rely on me to do that. They shouldn't have to rely on someone else. They, they, they are able and they want to do that for their children. And so that was really huge. Uh, I think that trip. And then, uh, very shortly into starting trades of hope, uh, which seems odd cause we had already started trades of hope, but I think you have multiple light bulb moments throughout your life. Uh, within the first few months, we were reaching out to different artisan groups and seeing if we could work with certain artisans in different countries. And, uh, we got an email from a woman in Cambodia And uh, her name was Wendy and she was a missionary that lived in Cambodia and worked with a a woman named Ya. And Ya in Cambodia had suffered something called an acid attack. And she had had acid thrown on her from a male figure in her life uh, for something that she did, some display of independence that she showed. And it had quite literally like burned half of her face off, like she had trouble breathing. Um, and so Wendy was kind of mentoring her, counseling her, trying to help her through a lot of the trauma of what had happened because yeah, I wouldn't even leave her home. Like she used to work in the marketplace. She could no longer go there because she was, uh, in danger, like in her culture, in that one area she lives, people basically look at her now that she's been disfigured as, oh, you must've done something wrong to, to receive this disfigurement. So therefore we can treat you in a way that, you know, is awful and horrible. So she could no longer leave her house. She was confined to her home. And Wendy, the missionary that lived there wrote us and said, you know, I've such a miracle that she had heard about us because we were so small at the time, but she wrote us and said, uh, you know, I've heard what you do. I would love it if you could work with Yah. She's just one woman, but she suffered a horrible tragedy. And she, but she has so much ability and so much talent inside of her. And I would love if we could partner together somehow. And me and Yah actually formed a relationship over email together. Hmm. And for me, that was like my big light bulb moment of like, this is why we're doing it. Like wow. up until that, it was like, you know, I want to help people. I had that ingrained in me since I was a little kid. I want to, I want to do that through business, but the, the face behind why I did that wasn't quite there yet. And so when I first started that relationship of speaking with Yah and helping her, so me and her like designed one of her first products together and she had no idea how to design things. I had no idea how to design things. I sent her YouTube links to like making different bags. And then she sent me color choices back and We were both so excited to be designing something together that was a representation of healing for her and to get to just share and talk to someone whose life was so completely Mm. different than my own uh, from my, you know, very privileged perspective of living here in the United States as a white female and just, but being able to talk to her and just see the differences, but then also see the contentment and the the joy that she chose every day to fight, even though she had been through so much trauma, mm. gave me that face of just, this is yeah. why we're doing this. This yeah. is why we do what we do. Yeah, so. that's amazing. So while, you, while you're while you on that, you've already started touching on a little bit of Trades of Hope. Give me the big picture, the, the mission, the vision of Trades of Hope. What's, what's going on? What effect is it having? Sure, yeah. So uh, we started about seven years ago. Uh, me and Elizabeth were teenagers uh, when we started and we partnered with our two moms. Um, so it's you two and your two moms are the founders. Yes. That's yeah. super cool. Yeah, mother-daughter relationship duo. So it is a lot of fun. How is awesome. the, sorry, I'm, I'll interrupt and then I'll yeah. let you keep talking. No worries. What's the team dynamic there? Is it good? Is it 
bad is it? <laughs> no, I shouldn't say bad. Obviously, it's not bad. Sure. But, but how is it? Like, yeah, yeah. not everybody can start a business with their mom and like turn it into something. Yeah, really... no, that's a great question. It's awesome. I mean, I think when you're going to start a business with family, you have to have great communication skills and great conflict resolution. And so we've learned that over the years. I think, you know, there's always struggles and there's always things you have to learn about one another. But I think for me and for all of us, it's been such an incredible growing experience to learn uh, how to honor one another and how to um, respect one another and put each other first and compromise and you know no one know we need to push our opinions forward and so it's a good give and take that we've taken seven years to really perfect um, and we have a home team so our actual in-house employees we have about 40 of them right now and a lot of them are our family and friends sure. that we were hired at the very beginning and so uh, just like we're mother and daughter duos we're also uh, you know all of our dads work there. My husband has worked there. My Our siblings work there. So I think um, it has set us up by doing it with mothers and our mother and daughter duo at the beginning that as we've hired family and friends, we've had those skill sets to really make a family business work and work well. And a family business can either be amazing or it can be really bad. And, you know, by the grace of God, we have erred on the side of amazing. And so that has, you know, just been a really good thing. So. I love working with all the people I work with. Gotcha. Elizabeth, why don't you take it from here and just continue explaining the, like what's happening. I mean, I, I've done research. I've actually, Serena, one of your, what do you call it, team members? I don't know. Our compassionate entrepreneurs. There you go. You know, she's the one who introduced us and wanted me to do this. And I'm so glad that we're obviously doing it. But um, it just seems like this is a really great, this is a great thing that's happening. I mean, you just brought 500 people mm -hmm. together mm -hmm. to uh, this event and, this is really, really cool. So explain what's what's all going on. Yeah, well, on that trip that Chelsea mentioned that the four of us took to Haiti right before Trades of Hope, we just, during some conversation and after some time meeting people there, we realized these people in desperate situations, they really don't want charity. They want an mm, opportunity. Yeah. They don't like standing in line for things. They don't like a little American girl handing them food. They don't, that, there's no pride in that. And um, there's no going to bed feeling proud of yourself or rewarded in that. And also it's not um, sustainable. Yeah. Um, they are constantly dependent on other people. And when those other people don't show up for a period of time, then they have nothing. And um, that is not using the potential that we as human beings have, that's mm -hmm. not using our critical thinking or our intelligence or our creativity or our talents um, that many of these people don't know they have yet because they haven't had an opportunity to showcase them or even explore them personally. We took that idea of they don't want charity, they want an opportunity and remembering all of those awkward times doing charity work and realized that we wanted to create um, a dignified partnership between um, these people in desperate situations who just need a platform, they just need space in this world where someone says, okay, we, we know that you can do this, show us what you got and it'll be welcomed and it will be valued. And then also this, the other end of this partnership is people who want to see that happen, who want to see people empowered and want to see people brought to life um, despite their really difficult past. And um, 
there were there are a lot of women who felt what I had felt as a child that pull that um, I know I have a life here and I have family or maybe even kids or um, a career that I can't leave, but that doesn't mean I don't want to help people in these desperate situations around the world. And um, so what Trades of Hope does is we connect those people with that longing to want to see people in different countries that are so far away from them empowered and those people who are who are creating something and who have um, used their talents and their thoughts and their intelligence to create something beautiful, but more importantly, create a livelihood for themselves that um, is not dependent on anyone else. Um, so what Trades of Hope does is we find um, makers around the world who are creating beautiful products. They usually form groups in different countries and different communities. We find those groups. And after some testing and some thorough um, evaluation of that group to make sure everyone in that group is being treated fairly mm. and safely and with a long-term empowering mindset, we um, pick up a product from them and our compassionate entrepreneurs here in America, they promote that product and sell that product and tell the stories of these people who are um, taking hold of their lives again and creating a, a better ending to their story, a more hopeful um, chapter now for their story. And, um, what's really cool though, is that those compassionate entrepreneurs here in America, they earn, um, an income off of what they sell too. And that is what creates the partnership because mm. if the compassionate entrepreneurs weren't getting anything out of it, it would still be charity. It would still be a donation of their time and of their speech. And they would still be sacrificing time with their kids or time away from work to do that work. And we didn't want it to, Again, we don't want anyone to be fully dependent on someone else. So when a passion entrepreneur earns something as well, they're both relying on each other to make their dreams come true, to have a livelihood, and to um, make the world a better place. Mm. I love that. Chelsea, just coming off of what Elizabeth shared about the vision, the mission, and what y'all are doing, are there any stories you can share with us? Just specific situations. I'm not looking for whatever, just as much as you want to tell, but... What's the actual like tangible effect yeah. of this? Yeah, yeah, no, that's a great question. A little bit of numbers, because uh, numbers all have a face yeah. and a story behind yeah. them. Uh, in 2016, we were able to help employ over 13,000 artisans all over the developing world. Wow. Um, so every that's single amazing. one of those artisans has a story and has a name. Uh, and when we started Trades of Hope, you know, it was very important to us that we had an artisan's first mentality and a people first mentality. Um, we are members of the Fair Trade Federation. Federation, so we abide by all the fair trade principles. And a lot of those are, um, they're all about putting people first. And so that means we care uh, about the individual story and we care about, um, you know, the all the things that are going on in their lives and the big picture. Uh, one of our stories that I did share the story of, yeah, but one of the stories that we love is uh, Miss Florence is her name. And she lives in Uganda, Africa. And she was a uh, war refugee. Uh, she was a very impoverished. She fled from um, one of her towns during during a war uh, there. And she um, settled in another town and had a just very traumatic past. Um, and then 
we were able to partner with the group that she works with and she was employed and able to start making um, different necklaces and bracelets and, you know, things that seemingly when you see a woman wearing those things, they don't seem super important. Like, oh, cool. It's a necklace. But when I I can say like, oh no, this necklace I'm wearing was made by uh, a war refugee that is coming out of poverty and is empowered and independent now. Like, it takes on a whole new meaning because there's a story behind every piece. And so Miss Florence now is a very independent woman. Uh, she actually just bought land for the first time in her life, which in a lot of developing countries for a woman to be able to buy land yeah. is like, I mean, you have the power when you own a piece of land. And so for her, that is, that's a, a status change. And uh, she's also one of the political leaders in her town because she cares. Uh, we have a great video about her online. And basically in the video, she says, when you help my town, you're helping the people of Uganda. And she has this incredible vision for Uganda to be changed. Uh, And I think that's really what's huge for us is when you help a woman, you know, we focus on 80% women. So though we love men, uh, we believe so much because we're just a female run company yeah. in the power of a woman. Uh, and when you when you help one woman out of poverty, uh, there's a statistic that says four other women or four other people actually are brought with her. So that could be her kids, wow. her husband, her community. Uh, they have an exponential effect because they look at the long term. They don't just look, you know, where am I going? They look at, hey, where have I been? Who are the people around me I can take with me? And so women like Miss Florence, you know, when, when she's empowered, it's not just, okay, now she doesn't have to stand in line. It's no, now she has a vision for her country that her country is going to change. And she's now heading up parts of this artisan group, hiring other people under her, finding other people that were in situations like her to empower because she wants her town to be transformed and she wants her city to be transformed and she wants her country to be transformed. And that's the power of sustainable business. 13,000 people, artisans. Now, does that mean that they all have, first of all, that's an incredible number. I, like, I'm just, <laughs> it's mind blowing. That's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm very excited about that. Does that mean they have a livable wage now? Yes. Yeah. So our fair trade values, uh, that's something that we uphold is they make three to six times what they would normally make in their country. Uh, and so, and that's different for, you know, different pieces right, sure. in different countries. Uh, obviously you've traveled, you know, it's different in, in every place you go, uh, but they're able to um, generally uh, pay for a place to live and send their children to school, pay for food, pay for medical bills if they need to pay for medical bills. A lot of our artisan groups actually provide health care for the artisans as well um, and take a holistic approach to supporting them. You know, they have groups, community groups for them to get involved with. Um, They sometimes come in, they'll bring dentists in to do dental work. So there's a lot of wonderful things that we love to support just within our artisan groups that are going above and beyond just, just that livable wage and going even more than that to just help them in any way that we can help them. Um, And we love that, like Elizabeth said, that a woman here in, we're in Nashville, Tennessee right now, a woman here in Nashville, Tennessee, who may be a stay-at-home mom that has a heart for Haiti or for Cambodia or Africa, but, you know, she's called to be here with her kids. She's called to raise her little ones. Mm-hmm. And we don't want to take that that choice of empowerment away from her. But we want her to feel like her life is making a difference as well. So the fact that she can make an income while helping Miss Florence make an income, she can put food on her table, send her children to school one day while Miss Florence is doing the same thing. And we're giving back to the economies of both cities and both 
towns in both countries is a huge thing and is just a, cir a circular effect of sustainability and empowerment for women all over the world. It's amazing. Elizabeth, what is the future? Like if, you, if it just ended today, job well done, right? A million times over. But what's the future look like? Like what's, uh, yeah, what's the future look like? We are excited when we are, we are so hopeful. Um, Trees of Hope has grown so incredibly well, far better than we could even ask to dream for. Um, and we, um, we're excited because some of our dreams ha are, have already started coming true, but we are just going to keep growing them bigger. Like for instance, Trades of Hope has been able to um, start and fund schools around the world in uh, Haiti and wow. India and um, support one in Uganda. And um, that that's important for us because we also, we know that there are adults who need um, a sustainable job opportunity, but there are also children who need an education so that maybe they don't, they can go straight into their careers and, and not wait for that misstep of, of no opportunity, finding opportunity. They can um, have opportunities that their parents never had. And we believe that education and sustainable business will end poverty, that poverty can not find a place to plant itself when kids are educated and um, adults are working long term. And um, so we want to see more schools pop up all around the world. We're very passionate about that. We believe education has such a strong power for girls and boys as well. And um, of course, to grow our artisan groups. And what's so exciting is that there's no limit to how big no. this can get because no. we are not confined to a storefront at the mercy of who walks in our door. We're not even confined to um, the mercy of who searches us on Google. We are um, being represented by compassion entrepreneurs all around America. We have 5,000 right now, just after seven years. And the great thing about our compassion entrepreneurs is they multiply themselves so quickly sure. as that passion spreads and catches on. And um, yeah, like Chelsea said that those 13,000 real people. Like, I don't even know how many times I've seen 13,000 people in one space. I can't even fathom what that looks like. And, um, upon talking to our artisan group some more at the end of 2016, we found out that because of those 13 people, 13,000 people had work, 42,000 people were impacted positively because those 13 people had a job. Mm. And, um, what's just so amazing is people are empowered to make their own dreams come true. So if Miss Florence wants to continue developing Uganda, she will. And people are probably going to follow her because she has so much influence. Um, we've had artisans who now have adopted within their own country, um, which is amazing. Adoption is not a bad thing. My sister is adopted and I can't imagine our family without her. Um, but so many kids who are adopted have, have living relatives that just cannot right. afford to take yeah, care absolutely. of them. And that, that's so heartbreaking. I can never imagine having to relinquish a child like that simply because you're born into a situation where you didn't have money. But if a child truly doesn't have a relative to take care of them, we have artisans who, because of their income, can now, can now adopt in country. And that is incredible. Um, also because that mother now knows truly better than I could ever know as a woman growing up in America, what that baby really needs. Cause she's walked that walk as well, um, of poverty and of devastation and trauma. And so the fact that she can make that change is incredible in her own community. Um, we have women who, um, 
are creating more sustainable opportunities within their own families. It's very common for um, women when they start to become prosperous, their family absorbs all of their money, putting that woman back at square one again. Um, And we have seen artisans not give her family all of their money, but buy them land for them to farm. So she can say, okay, I'm doing my business. Now you can have your business so that you can become sustainable as well. And that's why when... A woman is empowered. Statistically, she takes four more with her because she has this empowerment mindset. And um, so when you are giving work to 13,000 people and those 13,000 people are affecting 42,000 other people through their work, there's no limit. I don't even want to say the sky is the limit because truly there is no um, stopping human beings who have confidence now and who have experienced pride and have experienced um, their smaller dreams coming true. And then maybe their kind of medium sized dreams coming true. And now they have crazy big dreams and there's no reason to believe that they will not become a reality. I love that. I'm so stoked about this. I'm really excited. (laughs) Thank you. We are too. Chelsea. So this is very exciting and there's so much to be thankful for and so much to talk about, but it's not all glitz and glamour. It's not all great. (laughs) Giving a damn is never, there's some shitty parts. Like I know that I've started these projects. They've started, ended. I've been with, I've been all over the world, 30 countries. I've, I've, I just know that it's not all smiles and, uh, you know, conferences at Opryland. Sure. So talk about that for a minute, because what I'm trying to do, uh, I'm doing a lot of things in this. I'm trying to accomplish a lot of things in this podcast. One of them is to give people a realistic look that if they do decide to give a damn in yeah. their neighborhood, in their on their street, in their town, city, country, world, mm-hmm. most of the time it's going to feel great. Right. So yeah. um, give us a help us see a little bit of a bigger picture there. Sure. Well, I'll address two things. Um, the first thing with anything, uh, no matter if you're starting a philanthropic business or not, uh, starting a business is hard. <laughs> um, especially when, you know, we, we started with a thousand dollars each and we never had investors and we grew 300% over the first three to four years. So, um, there you have to learn pretty much everything. We learned how to create websites. We learned how to, uh, speak in front of people. We were like 17 and 15. We learned how to, uh, do accounting. We were writing the commission checks for our compassion entrepreneurs and, uh, doing the accounting to make sure our artisans were getting paid fairly and, I mean, there was a lot of stretching and growing that just for two teenagers, um, you know, we had to give up a lot of the things that a, a lot of teenagers are not give up, but while dealing with all the normal stuff that happens during your teenage life, we were also dealing with trying to grow a company that was growing at a rate we were just so excited about, but also so overwhelmed by. And so that takes a discipline. And I think that's the thing that we've truly learned, um, I said this quote this weekend, actually, during uh, one of our, where we were recognizing someone, but the magic of success is just discipline. And um, and I would add also passion, but mm. you can have passion, you can have great passion, but if you don't have the discipline to get up every single day and do the thing you need to do uh, and sacrifice what you want to do for what you need to do, then you're not going to, you're not going to sustain anything great. And so every day when we get up, uh, it's not always fun to answer emails and do accounting and run a a big team and sometimes overwhelming. Um, but we do it for the faces and the names and the Miss Florences and the, yeah. And sometimes you have to sacrifice the glamorous, uh, the glamorous life you thought 
helping people would look like and just kind of get that out of your brain and say, okay, sometimes it looks like grit and sometimes it looks like waking up every day and being disciplined and, and I'm willing to do that to help people all over the world. And then the second thing is, um, when you're helping, you know, in any way, shape or form, there is a heaviness and a responsibility on you. So, you know, we're working with 13,000 people all over the world now that are dependent on the products that we're purchasing. And that's a lot of, that's a lot of weight. That's a lot of responsibility. Um, and there's tragedy that happens all the time. Uh, a year, I don't know if it's actually a couple years ago, there was something that happened, uh, in Nepal and, um, I believe it was an earthquake and some of our artisans, their, their homes collapsed in on them. They couldn't find their family members. They couldn't get to their art, their actual office where they worked. And so then our, our products couldn't ship out. Products went on back order. Customers were upset with us, but our, you know, our value is that we put people first. And so that is the beauty of a fair trade business and a sustainable business is we ended up putting out, you know, I'm sorry, like we're, you're not going to be able to get our, our right. products for a while because our artisans literally like they're pulling family members out of rubble. Like we're yeah. not going to push them to ship right. our products to us. Like that's just not okay. We're going to help them. And so we ended up um, having uh, actually donating uh, money and helping relief efforts help get their families out of the rubble and everything. But it's challenging because it's a bit, we're, we're a business and we're not shy about saying we're a business. So there's those normal expectations customers have with the business that, oh, my products are all going to look the same. They're going to come on time. They're not going to run out. Um, and so we have to be very upfront when we market our products that, yeah, we do our best. We have a whole artisan development department where we develop our artisan groups to be business thinkers and business minded. But we also have to honor the culture of every single one of our artisans. In India, they recently had a festival where cows were literally blocking the roads. And they kept telling us they were going to ship our products. They kept saying, oh, no, we're going to get to the post office. And then finally, uh, they came out and just told us what was going on and said, hey, we can't move the cows. Like, we can't touch them. And they're all over the road and we can't get to the post office. So our product ran out and went on back order. And for a normal business, that can be frustrating. Mm. Like, okay, well, we are trying to help you or, you know, but putting our artisans first, putting our fair trade principles first. We want to honor their culture. And so we, important. we want to honor the fact that, you know what? Like, that's awesome that you, you're you celebrating and you're having a fun festival. Like, they celebrate and have festivals way more than right. we do. Yeah. And it sounds like, yes. you know, I would... I, we need, we need, we need more. more. We definitely need more. So, but just those are important things that are difficult from a business perspective that when helping people, you really need to decide before you start anything, what are my values? Because if I'm not willing to sacrifice uh, some of the short-term wins of getting products on time, having happy customers for the long-term win of our artisans, being able to be successful within their own definition of success and be successful within their own culture, then, you know, maybe it's not for you. And so that's part of, that's part of that struggle, um, that it's not always roses, but when we do that, we see so much joy from our artisans and from us that we uh, are honoring them and they're respecting us back and we're working together. And it's a true partnership where we're not trying to change their culture. We're just trying to meet them where they're at. And when we share that with our customers, uh, sometimes our products actually sell more. So like one of our products went on back order and we shared with them, you know, there's this festival, there's cows in the road, they can't get to the post office. 
And then the back order amount like went crazy. People wow. kept ordering and ordering because they loved, okay, that you really are putting people first and that's okay. You're honoring that they're having a festival and I would love to get this product when it's available. And so uh, that can make it difficult sometimes on our compassion entrepreneurs that sell our products because they are you know, promising certain products and then it's not coming on time. But when we remind them that it's about our artisans first and that's what we need to always speak about when we're sharing about this story, our customers get it and they can have more grace for us. And that struggle actually becomes our greatest asset. That's huge. That's awesome. Elizabeth, go, not that you haven't been going deep down inside, but go deep down inside for a second and tell me why you do this. You, you both have been entrepreneurs for the better, I don't know exactly how old you are, but you know, a decade or more by now. And um, you probably could be doing something that is making you more money and just more of a platform probably in a, in a different way. So why do this? This is, she, she shared some of the heart, just like account, it's everything. The back order is trying to tell that story and make sure nobody gets too pissed off. Like why do this and not something else that is less stressful and maybe probably would make you more money? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, I shared this this weekend as well. Is that one of my favorite quotes ever that I think I tell myself every single day is by Audre Lorde. And it's that I am not free while any other woman is unfree even if her shackles look very different from my mm. own. And mm. um, I think I am a very passionate, very independent woman. I was raised to be that way, um, to be confident and choose to be confident even when you're wavering. And um, I have seen that despite the surroundings, I have seen women display natural characteristics like that, which makes me wonder how many other women would be feel strong, would feel empowered, would feel confident and independent if they had um, an environment conducive to that. Um, right after I graduated college with my bachelor's, um, I actually lived in Guatemala for a little over a month. Cool. Uh, yeah, shout out to Guatemala. Right. <laughs> um, and um, spent a lot of time with our artisans there. And um, I met a girl named Karen and she was um, not one of our artisans yet, but she was training to be in our program because she um, wasn't of working age yet. And that's very important to us that no one not of working age works um, on our products. So she was training, learning the skills um, as she was um, training 18 soon. And um, I asked her, I was like, Karen, what's your dream? Like, what do you want to do with your life? Um, and she goes, you know, I want to be an a writer. I want to write books. And oh yeah, I want to be the president of Guatemala one day. Whoa. I know. And I was like, Karen, you're my favorite human being on this planet. And, um, I, I have a picture with her, of her, with her and it's, mm. um, on my wall. And I look at it every single day because Karen and I have this similar, really absurd confidence in both of yeah. ourselves. Um, that probably doesn't make a lot of sense, but it's both in us and we had never met until I was um, 20 years old and she was almost the same age as me and we had never met before and we did not have similar upbringings whatsoever. Um, other than the fact we were women, we did not have a lot in common and um, yet we shared this strong um, power inside of us. And it was almost identical when she started talking to me and I was like, Karen, you should hear the things I dream about <laughs> when I'm alone <laughs> and there's no one around to listen to how crazy my dreams are. And, um, that is why I do what I do because I believe that there is this strength in, in every person. Um, and 
I, the first time I felt it was in myself. And then I started noticing it in the people around me and in people like Karen, when it made no sense for her to have that strength and that confidence, but she still had it. And it made me wonder who else has this? They just haven't been exposed to an environment that is conducive for them to have that. Mm. And then what happened if they were in an environment that said, you got this, you can make your dreams come true. You have everything that you need inside of you. Um, We believe in you and you are powerful and you can actually influence this world. You you don't have to just survive, you can thrive and you can help other people thrive as well. And I believe that that is a very real reality for many women and men. And I think it will become more of a reality for more women and more men. I have two daughters. They're five and four. So I am getting a lot of excitement and hope out of this talk (laughs) because, I mean, we've all traveled quite a bit and I've been to, I mean, even in America where we're very more progressive than the rest of the world in a lot of ways, Mm -hmm. in other ways, not Mm -hmm. so much, but we won't get into that today. But there's still (laughs) even here, there's, you know, women have felt oppressed and held back Absolutely. from being, you know, who they truly are meant to be yeah. much more in a lot of the countries that we've been in. Right. right. And I, I always think I always, it makes me both sad and hopeful at the same time. Like we've accomplished a lot as humans, right? Mm-hmm. How much more could we have accomplished at this point if women oh, yeah. had felt empowered to be like, Karen wants to be the president. Mm-hmm. She should, she should be the president. There's yeah. no reason she should yeah. be president. But yet most countries still have not had women at that level of leadership. That's so funny. That's what I talked about last night. I talked about how we are just missing out on half of our potential as a human race. We are. Because half of it is held back. Because yes, half. And and in a lot of ways, and I have no, I have have the opposite of a problem saying that we would be way better off Mm -hmm. if women were in leadership in a lot of places. Absolutely. In politics in politics and business and the church in so many places right. we've seen the devastating effect of men yeah lording their authority and their whatever just You're speaking over. my language yeah, you know <laughs> and so um i'm very excited to hear these um yeah, this, this hopeful dreams that are coming out of this conversation. I love it. Well, I want to be very conscious of our time. I could talk for hours. I really could. But let's begin to wrap up. While you have the mic, mm-hmm. Elizabeth, those listening want to give a damn. And it's gonna it, it, it manifests itself in so many different ways. Some are making small little changes, just take, you know, reaching out to their neighbor, right? A neighbor that they've been by for a year and don't know, right? So it's it's as small as that. And others are, we've had stories of people quitting their jobs to go do another job that pays less money, but it's more in line with their passion, right? So we've had everything in between. And um, we're just getting started. Um, help us with a couple pieces of advice. So these are people you don't know, they don't know you, but what could you, out of your experience, out of your life, what could you share with them that would help them stop making excuses today and to get their butts moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I learned over and over and over again, um, I would say that I learned it again just this weekend, is to trust yourself. Because I don't know exactly what it is, but we have this um, incredible intuition. And and I don't think it's, it's a just some people have it and some people don't. I think we all have it inside of us. And um, I think we know what we're supposed to do. And I think if we have a dream and we have a vision for something, I think it's there for a reason. And um, time and time again, I have just 
doubted myself or I've had this idea and maybe it's very different than what the other founders of Trades of Hope have said, or maybe they haven't had an idea similar. So um, maybe mine is wrong or maybe it's misplaced or I don't know. I, I can find so many reasons to doubt the ideas that I have or even just the interests that I have. I'm constantly surprised how every time I have one of those doubts, something happens to reaffirm them. Um, mm. Something happens where something beautiful comes out of that idea and um, or out of that just passion or out of that moment of, I really care about this and I don't know why I really care about this. And I'm not really sure what I should do, but I'm going to do something um, that has always benefited someone else, even in a really tiny, small way. And um, so I would say to anyone and everyone that if there is a stirring inside and if there is a vision, even if it's very small and very vague and there's lots of blind spots in that vision right now, um, to trust it and to trust yourself because no one... No one knows the future. You might not know the future, but no. the critics don't know the future either. No. And um, there definitely will be critics along the way, but it's the one who is putting, throwing themselves into the trenches and doing the work. No one can critique that. No one can critique the one who is um, wildly pursuing that stirring that they're feeling. And um, so I would say to trust that because it will take you so much farther than you know, it will take you just as far as you, as you can envision right now. It will take you to that. Um, I have something, something to offer. I have something to maybe learn from this, or maybe someone else will benefit from this, but it'll, it could take you so much farther as well than you could ever imagine. I would just say too, that I feel like a lot of times helping people is like a competition between uh, the world sometimes where it's like, well, you know, you're doing this and I'm doing this and you should be doing this too. And, you know, and the hard thing is, and kind of just to touch on what Elizabeth said is everyone is called to something. Uh, not everyone is called to everything. Mm. So, and I think sometimes when we try to do everything, we end up not doing it well because our- We're less helpful than ever. Right, because <laughs> our passion isn't focused in and zeroed in on something. So I would definitely encourage anyone um, you know, that wants to help people uh, just like Elizabeth said, find that stirring in your heart and write down like, what is it that you've been passionate about? And maybe you don't even know. Maybe it's like, hey, you know, when I was little, I was the kid that was always running and getting people, you know, drinks and getting people their snacks and, you know, okay, well, you have a servant's mindset. Yeah. So like, how do you utilize that to change the world? Um, and you don't need to do it for every everything. You know, some people are passionate about women's issues and I really hope everyone would be passionate about women's issues. Some people are passionate you know, I went and I spoke at a college and uh, someone someone called me out and I was glad they did because we had a really good conversation, but they were basically like, well, you're helping people overseas and there's so much poverty here in America. And now number one, we have artisan groups here in America. Right. So we do help two artisan groups here in America. So just want to clarify that. Number two, our compassionate entrepreneurs are employed here in America. So that yep. helps our economy anyways. But number three, um, you know what, maybe that's your calling then. And I said that to him, I said, right. okay, well, you're obviously passionate about it. Yeah. Do something, like yeah. utilize your passion to help the impoverished here in America and the underprivileged here in America. You do it. Like, don't call me out for doing what I'm passionate about. Right. Do what you're passionate about. And if we stopped doing that and we started actually living what we were called to do and taking the discipline to actually carry that out and not looking at everyone else, but looking at what's in front of us and developing that dream, I think the world would be a much better place. Yeah. The, 
I hope you said it that way to them too, because they need a good kick in the pants for saying something like that. Cause it's just not helpful. And it's not, you're, you're thinking about it the right way. It, that, and that's the whole reason I'm doing this is everybody has a thing or depending on the capacity of that person, it could be things, sure. right? Some of us can't handle things yeah. and some can handle thing. But if we all just do that and stop expecting other someone else to, because that person, I guarantee you, I don't know that person at all, but I guarantee you that person watches more Netflix than they should. They spend a <laughs> lot of their money on things that are not helping the poverty level in America, but it's easier for them in a classroom setting where they can be this holier than thou person to call <laughs> you out on it instead of them starting this program in their city, town, or you know, sure. state to actually help that. Sure. And so my deep conviction is that if we all figured out what was our one or two or three things that we could eradicate some of the biggest atrocities that we, like water. One of my favorite charities, nonprofits is Charity Water. Mm-hmm. We give to them yeah, every month awesome. as a family. But it's it's both an amazing thing and a, and a sad thing that after 10 years of them just like really kicking ass, they are still 1% of the way there, mm. right? Yeah. $250 million given, all of it, 100% of that going directly to projects. Six, Just under 7 million people have clean water now. And there's another 660 that don't. Right. Too many people calling you out, right? Or calling, you know, Scott out on not doing more or whatever yeah. and not saying, okay, what's my thing? Because right. I really, 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 really believe that if we all picked our one thing and actually moved on it, we could eradicate the water thing. We could eradicate. There's no reason that we can't give water to these people or food, like- all the resources are in play. We have all the resources, all the money. Right. Yeah. And having that pinpointed goal of how, you know, the thing that you're going to wake up in the morning and do is important. Like yeah. if I just wake up in the morning and my answer is I want to change the world today. Like yeah. that's great, yeah. but it's so vague. There's so no like, focus, how are you no going steps. to change the world so that you actually focus on it and you don't end up sitting in bed and watching Netflix all yeah. day? Like, because that's our, that is our natural tendency. Yeah. So you have to have a focus. And if his is changing America, do it. If mine is changing the world, do it. If yours is getting clean water in the hands of every single person in the world, do it. Like, but we all have to have that single minded focus for ourselves and we're passionate about. So I love that. Before the last question, um, I want to just take a moment to honor you both and your mothers who are not in the room. So yeah, they're pretty cool. And you know, please pass this along to them. But I'm really, I'm feeling a lot of things out of our conversation, but the main one is just gratitude. You saw things, you took things in at one point in time and you answered the call. Like you said, okay, what can I, I, these are, this is the experience I have. These are the things I've gone through in my life. Now, what can I do as a result? And seven years later, Trades of Hope is here. 13,000 artisans, 5,000 compassionate entrepreneurs here, thousands of jobs created, thousands of people, tens of thousands of people affected as a result of the thousands of people that have jobs because of Trades of Hope. So yeah, this is a very honorable thing that you're doing. And I hope this um, increases exponentially, 10X, 100X in the next decade or two decades or three decades. And I hope that people begin, more people begin to see the work that you're doing and help out contribute um, begin to figure out what what's their role in helping you guys accomplish yeah. uh, your dreams. So well, thanks so much. Yeah, we appreciate absolutely. it. We appreciate you having us on. Yeah, no, absolutely. So feel honored. You're doing good work. <laughs> Thank you. We Keep do. going. <laughs> all the accounting, all the writing commission checks, all the web. It's all obviously for a very like great purpose. It's It's something cool. So the last question is a hypothetical one. So you'll both have to answer. Someday you're going to die. Hopefully it's many, many, many years from now, but we're, we're all going to die. You're going to die. And for some odd reason, I'm giving your eulogy. All of your friends, your family, the people that work to do the Trades of Hope, uh, in, in some weird way, we got all of the artisans, uh, artisans there and all the compassion. Everybody's there. It's a packed room because of the impact that you've had. 
and I have a few sentences to speak your legacy over the people that are in that room, what do you hope that I would say on that day? Mm, that's a good question. I would hope that you would say that my greatest success, I'm going to get emotional when I say this, that my greatest successes were other people's successes, that everything I did, it, it was other people that lived the fruition of anything that, that I did. All the stuff that I woke up in the morning to do and all of the great work we've done all over the world. I don't want that to end at me. I want it to be seen in the success of other people. And so I hope when you're at that, you know, saying that eulogy and at that funeral and you look around the room, you see successful, happy, whole people there. And that my success is just shown through their flourishing in their lives and their joy. So that's what I would say. <laughs> it's a hell of a legacy, Chelsea. Okay, Elizabeth. Oh, wow. Um, you made me emotional. <laughs> um, well, it should be. It's this is like what gets passed on to our kids and their kids, and you know what I'm saying. Like this is yeah. it's a big deal, and I don't think we think about it as much. So, I would throughout my life so far, and I anticipate this will carry through until that eulogy. Um, I'm very passionate about women's rights and female issues. I'm wearing a girl power t-shirt right now. Yeah, um, I need me one of those. And um, if you were to say that because of the way that I decided to live my life, women who at one point were scared or nervous or were told that they were obnoxious or out of place, if you were to say that they continued pressing forward and they continued to be bold and they continued to use that maybe irrational confidence to follow their dreams and to bring other women with them, I would rest very peacefully. Um, I think too, as, as the youngest founder of Trades of Hope, I care very much about what I emulate for younger girls and younger women. There were some daughters brought to the event this weekend and um, hearing that they uh, want to start their own business or be a CE or um, they are passionate about showing other, just showing other girls in their communities at school love. That's a priority to them now because they saw what I did at 15. There's no greater gift than that. And so at that eulogy, if there are women there who were once afraid and they were once told that they were out of place or they were too loud or they were too strong, um, if they decided that that didn't matter anymore and they were going to continue to press forward, then I would, um, I would consider this whole life thing worth it. incredibly worth it. Yeah. Awesome. I love that. Before we say goodbye, what do you want people to know about y'all? So where, where can they go find you? What do you want them to look up? Yeah, um, everything you need to know is at tradesofhope.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, all the works. Um, and there you can see all of the amazing pieces that our artisans make. Um, so beautifully designed and intentionally made. And then, of course, there is a lot to learn about um, becoming a compassionate entrepreneur and deciding to enter in that dignified partnership with our artisans. Love it. Anything else, Chelsea, or is that it? tradesofhope.com 
Tradesofhope.com. Yeah. And I would just echo what Elizabeth said. You know, if you are somebody listening and, you know, it can be female or male, we have male compassion entrepreneurs as well. And um, you want to do something to change the world. And uh, there, it's a minimal investment to come into the business and make an income for your family and feel like you are truly, truly making a difference. And also when you become a compassionate entrepreneur, you get to come to events like this where you're with 500 people that truly care about the world and care about the difference they're making in the legacy they're leaving. And they're, it's hard to find people like that in the mm. world. It's hard to find a community of people that care. And so Trades of Hope truly does offer that. And so I just want to say that as well, that if you're looking for a community and you're looking for people that um, love the things you love, that we would love to have those people a part of Trades of Hope in whatever capacity they can be part of our company. Amazing. Kelsey, Elizabeth, thank you so much. Thank you. Friends, if your heart and life and brain was not moved by that talk, well, you need to go to the doctor to get yourself checked out. That was so much fun for me, and I was deeply inspired by these young women. I hope you feel the same way. Before you turn this podcast off, a couple important housekeeping items. I know it's a big ask, and I know I say that it's a big ask every week, but I really do realize that it's me asking you to take time out of your day to go to somewhere where you weren't planning to. But if you would, I know it's a big ask. If you would leave a review on Apple Podcasts, that would mean the world to me. It really does help us get into the ears, lives, and hearts of many more listeners. I started sharing Apple Podcast reviews on the air recently so that you can hear what other people think about the show. And I'll continue to do that this week. And I really appreciate these tremendously kind reviews. Today's review is from one of my brothers, actually, Andrew Lapara. Here it is. Nick is one of those people that I personally know that has a true hustle personality and mindset. He's got the passion that goes into inspiring others and making them believe in something greater than themselves. Andrew, thanks for that kind review. And everyone, even though he's my brother, I did not pay him to leave that review. He did that all on his own accord. So make sure to go leave yours for a chance to have yours read on the podcast as well. Also, I'm going to be picking a few random reviewers and I'm going to send them a Let's Give a Damn notebook. You can check out what those look like by visiting my Instagram at Nick Lapara or Let's Give a Damn's Instagram at Let's Give a Damn. You can see what they look like. Go leave a review so I have an excuse to send you one of these awesome notebooks made by my friends at Scout Books, Portland, Oregon. They're awesome. And lastly, when leaving your review, make sure to leave your full name in the header of the review. If you don't have your name in the header, I won't know who to look for when I choose to send you a notebook. Okay, that's all for this week. I have had so much fun hanging out with you. Now, go give some dams this week. You will be met with many opportunities to do so. It's up to you whether or not you'll actually act on it. Love you all. See you next week.